Welcome, everyone, to another Twyla After Show podcast. I'm Neil Malasson. Joining us, Kristen Oaks-White, Carl Wiggers, Avery Davidson, and finally, Jennifer Finley rejoins us for the show. And we're going to start with you this week, Jennifer, since you're our kind of quote-unquote special guest, even though you know, you've just been you're busy on the show here every week. The, right. But, you know. Uh, you went out to La Ranger, to A&A Acres, as I understand. Tell us about that. Well, I uh, met a wonderful female farmer, actually, um, our superstar, Monica, found her at the Hammond Farmer's Market and told me about her. Um, She's in here, by the way, taking pictures, if you she hear She is <laughs> always <laughs> taking click. pictures. Always um, But watching. she has uh, pasture-raised chickens, chicken eggs, and duck eggs. Um, and so I went to learn more about what it means to be pasture-raised. Um, and the other thing I wanted to really talk to somebody who was in the know about was uh, all of my chef friends go crazy over duck eggs versus chicken eggs, and I went to find out a little bit more about the why. So what's the reasoning for, what, what's the difference in pasture? What, what's, what, what is it? What's, the, what's so, the glory behind it? Well, uh, the way that she said um, pasture-raised is intentional movement of animals across the grounds, and it's to benefit the animal, but it's also to benefit the land. So in her case she has an electric poultry net run on a solar panel and then she has this a-frame that the chickens will they like to go in there because the food's in there and then she'll move that every day and then every week the pen will move to a different section of the farm so the premise is that they're never um staying in their own manure were you just testing her when you asked this me? No. You just did a story. On well, I did, but the listeners may not have seen my story. Well, I know I wouldn't watch your story. It's, I'd it, watch hers over yours anyway. <laughs> well, but that's I think me, it'll you know. be an interesting like compare and contrast the way the two different ones grow because he. I mean, I grew up on a poultry farm, which is a commercial poultry farm, but the story that you did. I've, that was so interesting to me to see that that's how they do it. I don't know how. It's kind of different. I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to watch yours to I, see. From what I've seen from your package, Jennifer, it sounds like it's kind of a mix between, it's kind of similar to what Galen Iverstein does with the way his poultry is. But I guess, I mean, the poultry, you said it's good for the, the I mean, the, the pastured poultry is good for the animals, but also for the land. It's, it's also about soil regeneration. Um, uh, local cooling farms is really known for this. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil's folks, done a few stories on that. Yeah, our folks over there um, actually, uh, Kate Estrad is one of Ashley's mentors. Oh, okay, cool. So that was a really cool connect. Um, but there's Ashley is a first-generation farmer. She worked in the corporate world. She had a bachelor's of science and geography. Um, she worked for NOLA.com and was in the newspaper business for a while when the newspaper business... Was a business. <laughs> yeah, and then when it wasn't a business, they all got laid off. And this was her hobby, um, she has three children, um, and her husband's in the service. And he said, "You know, why don't you make this hobby? You're, you know, obviously it's your passion. Why don't you give it your all full time?" And so she started. I think he gave her twelve chickens, and so now she has eight hundred birds, um, two hundred of which are ducks. Mm. And she really has. Um, there's a lot of authenticity behind her, but there's also a lot of first generation. So she's learning a lot off of YouTube. She's learning a lot off of 
other female farmers that are her age that get together and kind of share ideas. Uh, for instance, when she was feeding the chickens, there's a certain way that everybody does it, but what they found to be more advantageous was to get a painter's bucket and cut some things out of the bottom and just lift it up and, um, you know, less expensive, more effective, um, all of those kinds of things. And it's not a huge um, farm. She sells out every week at the farmer's market in Hammond. Sometimes she says, oh, you know, I think about maybe I could go to another farmer's market, but I just love my people over at Hammond, <laughs> and I just need to be there. And I said, well, if you're selling out of all your product, you don't really need to go anywhere else. Doing the else. job. You, so. you had a question? Well, she touched on it a moment ago, because I was I, what I loved in the story was when she talked about, I bought these feeders for, you know, and they were pretty expensive, but then... I learned on YouTube, you know, how to make these from a, a a Home Depot bucket and just cut out and it's gravity fed. So the feed comes out the bottom. I, she just seemed like someone who has a passion for learning about what she's doing. Well, I think the deeper um, kind of uh, current that I'm finding with all of these young farmers, I seem to be immersed in a lot of young farmer stories lately, and I absolutely love it. Um, but that generation is not shy to go to the internet to find something that is more user-friendly, more manageable, less expensive, more productive. Um, and it's it's really nice to see all of that innovation because it goes straight into their profit margins if they can do it better, faster, cheaper, and still get you know great product from it. So there's a huge passion there um, to learn and being first generation and deciding to be all in. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you wake up thinking about it and you go to bed reading about it and it's your whole day in between. I'll tell you I realize, what. Oh, go ahead, Kristen. Well, I was just going to say what was interesting that she had a career and I can think back of several stories that I've done. Talk about Ryan Kirby, who was a petroleum engineer and walked away from that. I bet we could do an entire show on young farmers who have had careers like the Lucketts mm -hmm. did not always do this mm -hmm. she yeah. was a home health nurse right I think that would be that just made me think that would be an interesting show to talk about all of these people who had one career that was a um what's the word I'm looking for non-farming stable right mm -hmm. a stable a stable paycheck. Unless you're in the newspaper world, maybe. But yeah, yeah, well, that, that's not much of a paycheck. <laughs> but, well, but I mean, uh, but it was stable. Nine to five. It's consist consistent. Mm -hmm. Yes, and there's something that comes from comfortable consistency. Mike, <laughs> what, Mike would often away refer from. to those as secular jobs. Yeah. Yes. Well, as <laughs> a non-farming. But I also wonder what their mental satisfaction is now because she seems extremely satisfied in what she does now and I, I I thought you really brought that out in the story well one of my favorite things that I was just listening to the raw footage again and I, there was some questioning to and from and then I all of a sudden I just said I mean how exciting is it for you to be able to call yourself a farmer because you just realize like that's the title she's probably always wanted and now she actually has it and her answer at first was like well, and I was like, whoa. She said, you know, before 
COVID, I mean, there's so many struggles as a farmer. She has um, a very supportive husband. She says, of course, you know, within that working relationship, somebody else has to always have another job. It's always like you kind of, as a farmer, somebody else in the family has a job outside the farm. But she said when COVID hit and everybody was looking for eggs and meat her family was calling her all the time she said all of a sudden as a farmer i felt like a superhero mm. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, thought, I was gonna say it's uh, i know her involvement in it predates covid but it's a very timely story in that manner because so many people went out and got backyard chickens and started getting eggs and and that kind of thing one because of the shortages but also two they started finding with time at home they found a deep satisfaction and i'd imagine at least a very small percentage of people are just not going to go back to work because they found that satisfaction doing things just like that and wanting to know where their food is coming from absolutely well i can tell you growing up on the other side of the poultry growing industry that the one main difference that i see is that like with the guy that you did a story on two weeks ago the difference is, is that they're controlling their destiny. They control who they sell to in like a commercial poultry grower. None of that is in their control. And the one main thing that I've noticed about both of the people you guys interviewed, they're happy. <laughs> and that's not something that I can tell you. My father is very often with the commercial poultry growing. So yeah. that's that's it's something world. it's a different world. And yeah. I think that's that that that's worth a lot. Well, and also it's worth a lot. Yeah. By having that control, they're able to maybe they're not putting out thousands and thousands of chickens at a time, but they're still being able to make a premium for yeah. the chickens they're they're raising. Well, the other thing is, it sounds like they're more flexible to the market because right. one of the things you touched on was the demand for duck eggs because it's such a specialty thing. It's it reminds me exactly the stuff with goats. You know, people who love goat milk have never gone back to cow milk. Is that kind of what the what well the duck eggs? That was just that was really cool. I need to know about this because <laughs> I didn't know when you started talking about it. I said. Okay, I don't know the difference. So the first time when we went out to local cooling farms and I was with Tori, um, they have some, they have a few ducks. They're not they don't specialize in it or anything like that. Actually, they buy their ducks from Ashley or they sell their ducks at their markets and um, but Tori was like running around the field trying to get the duck eggs. I mean, he <laughs> was freaking out about these duck eggs and I'm going and he said, "Jen, it is so hard." to get duck eggs and so it's always well you know why do you why do you need duck eggs so when we got there she boiled um both of them and showed us the insides and the yolk is much larger so your baked goods are rising higher and there's a higher nutritional content to mm. it so there were all these pros um really interesting things that she talked about like a lot of people don't uh raise ducks because they they can be difficult birds in that there's a pond and she's like what is a, a duck without a pond because she's very much on this small scale interested in animal happiness as well and so people won't have ponds with their ducks because ducks tend to get on the pond they don't want to get off and so they'll lay their eggs in the bottom of the pond and you can't get um. them and they'll also bury their eggs so it's really kind of this precarious thing that you have to get them off at night and and also they're on pasture so they have to be moved around in all of their pens and it's kind of intense but um the duck eggs themselves 
uh, lend themselves. She said lemon curds. That's her hmm. specialty. She actually makes that and brings it to the farmer's market. And then we talked about pricing because I heard duck eggs are, you know, double chicken eggs. And she was uh, not doing that. She was nope. selling them for just a little bit more. And I was what are you doing? I'm not even <laughs> going to tell people that because you shouldn't be doing that. that now is, you have. You know, so but I didn't tell you what she was selling them because she is rethinking something. <laughs> she got to redo that pricing. But yeah. you tried you tried the duck egg. You tried the chicken egg. Was the duck egg all it was quacked up to be? Oh, my mm. word. Oh, wow. There it I is. Sh- I should have banned you from that. <laughs> 12 minutes in, and I will, there it is. I will tell y'all that How she How long have you been sent, sitting on that one? Yeah. She, uh, it just hatched. She, oh. <laughs> I'm oh sorry. I like them. They're tough. You should I, be punched. Oh. <laughs> Um, so how she are sent they? us well. She sent us all home with eggs, mm. and um, this is just a quality control story. Uh, the chicken eggs. I went home and had scrambled eggs right away, and sent her a picture of my breakfast. And they, these were delicious eggs. I mean, they were totally different from anything I had, I had tried earlier. Um, but the duck eggs she did not send us home with because they were on big time back order. As a small farmer, she's learning everything the hard way, as you do. And she had a refrigerator go down. But she wasn't sure exactly when it went down. So um, she called everybody who had her duck eggs within that week, told them all to throw them out. And she had to throw out 800 duck eggs. She threw them out in the pasture and has to start over and, you know, get everything back to where it was. But to me, because it was like, probably had just gone out. They were probably all okay. Mm -hmm. But as a small farmer with your reputation and your name on the line, the first instinct she had was call everybody, throw it all out. I'm bringing you new product. Um, so we didn't bring home duck eggs because they were, you yeah. know, such a hot commodity. I'll get them later at the market. <laughs> so, but the chicken eggs were delicious. Well, that sounds like a fascinating story. I can't wait to, to see it on the show. And she has bright red hair. I was about to say, we're going to talk about her hair, but it <laughs> yeah. is the reddest hair I've ever seen in my life. Awesome. I, I was going to say, when you called her a superhero, I was going to say she looks like a superhero. You know, she's mm-hmm. got a look about her that just says, that's, You're awesome. Yeah. 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 We need we need more gingers on the show. <laughs> um, other things that have been in the news, of course, is all the rain that we've had here mm-hmm. lately. And that kind of ties into, Carl, your story about soybeans. Uh, we are behind big time in planting. And we were talking about that earlier, about how few day work days there are right. uh, that have been full, full work weeks between March 14th and now due to that rain. And, and that ties into your story. Tell yeah, me about that. We, we, I didn't really get into the work week you know, working days available until after, you know, we were writing for the sh- uh, set mm-hmm. for the show. And <laughs> um, I looked it up, and if, since March 15th, that week had about five and a half days of working weather. I'm doing air quotes for, like, good field conditions. Since then, the number's been in the three and two days a week, somewhere in that range of and, – and, Chris, and I know you know this, like – that's well, not going to cut it. <laughs> I was going to say, even in the days that you're talking about in March, that's not really applicable to soybean farmers because corn farmers plant in March. It's true. Yeah, there's a lot but, of overlap happening in that, mm-hmm. those early weeks. But And then this year, this March was unusually cooler. And so that nobody, I don't think anybody, I mean, some some brave ones might have planted some soybeans
you go down uh, 190 and Highway 71, and you're going to see some places where apparently corn was planted relatively early because it is tall mm-hmm. and pretty a lot of it gorgeous tasseling. and tasseling. And it's like, that is great. And then you go by some other cornfields, and it is literally three inches, five inches out of the ground, some of it half flooded, looking dead. And then I saw some soybeans that were like that, too, that yeah. just mm-hmm. looked abs- I did not. I did not see a single good stand of soybeans. Yeah. Well, and the we're- corn that they did get planted, I know that a lot of them— could not get in the field to fertilize it, which is just you know as this. bad. And it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of that, um, especially with, I think we are at, I, I think I saw a thing where, and this was during some of the rain, so it's increased since then. We've gotten, Southeast Louisiana has gotten 61, 63 inches of rain. Mm. And it's something like the average, yearly average is 41. Wow. Yeah, I I haven't looked at the I didn't look at the weather. I had too much to work with in my story already. (laughs) I didn't reach out to Jay Grimes because I knew I would end up with more good stuff. Mm -hmm. But the amount of rainfall we've had is just it's crazy. But you mentioned we're behind. Soybeans are behind like crazy right now. I'm looking. I got the the Louisiana Crop Progress Report in front of me because it just it's so hard to believe. But this week, as of the 23rd, 58 percent of soybeans have been planted. And 85% is the five-year average, so almost 30%. And what's crazy, and I talked to um, David Mosley, who's the soybean specialist, who was saying last year the crop conditions for soybeans were at 0% very poor all year until Hurricane Laura came and bumped it from 0 to 1% poor, very poor. This year, as of last week, it was at 12% very poor, condition mm. and now uh, let's say it was 12 percent very poor and that's the wrong thing so 12 percent very poor and now it's at this week is at 10 percent very poor but 12 percent is poor so 22 percent is poor or very poor ain't good talking about that condition to, it's hard to pull out of that, that yeah those categories and he did say he, he did say it should come on out like especially if crop if the weather can improve like it has mm. but they got a long ways to go and a lot of a lot of ground to make up as far as planting. We're we're already outside that ideal planting window, and yeah. there are yeah. a lot of variables, which gr- is the dirt, the commodity, like the the. You know why this is happening? Because the prices are so right. The prices <laughs> yeah, are so good. Yeah, I was so about good. to say prices are <laughs> it's good. It's just and- karma. But it's a it's a worse situation than it otherwise appears because if you look at the crop progress nationally, Brad Rippey, the USDA meteor- meteorologist, is talking about rapid emergence of beans and planting, you know, rapid planting, nationally speaking. Mm. And so Louisiana's one, their strength in soybeans has been the fact that we get them in early and we get them out early. Mm -hmm. We get them shipped early because we're right there by the Gulf. Well, if the national stuff gets done first, that's going to drown out all our margins and that sort of, because farmers are going to have to wait later in the year to ship when Mm -hmm. the margins that we normally get on on shipping aren't as good. Well, and the other thing, I talked to Jacob Ezel, who's in Madison Parish, uh, and he's, he, as of Monday, was at 70% of his soybeans still to be planted, and he had zero acres of cotton planted which that's a different story altogether but 70 percent of his soybeans weren't even planted yet and he was talking about the struggle with both of those commodities being you know the later you plant them the later you harvest them and the the later you harvest them the more at risk they are that's right with hurricanes and yep. storms which 
We don't I have mean, to worry about the frost so much, but we do have to worry yeah. about that. So, and it turned out last year we saw what happened. Yeah. So, anyways, they're, they're all there's so much they're having to the factor to factor in right now, and it's just that it's it's a very farmery story to do. And yeah, but it was one of those I just can't really ignore how crazy behind they are. That's the fifty eight and eighty five percent is the soybeans cotton it much better and we don't have to talk about it too much but cotton this week was planted 50 percent and 85 is 85 percent is the five-year average so They're both of those boat. commodities are super behind yeah yeah i mean you know we got to make sure other folks who are outside of agriculture understand the importance of this because if if this is behind and there is a disaster and you talk to commissioner i mean we're looking at an above average hurricane season this year starting june 1 here it comes so you know you put all of that together you're in a situation where you could have some serious economic damage in our rural areas which does spill over into everything else so you know if if the farmers aren't doing well the elevators aren't doing well all those rural communities who work in new orleans to pull all that grain in yeah. are not as employed. And the banks. Yeah. All yeah. the banks are, are in a position where their money's at risk because Kristen's not going to be able to pay it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I asked I asked Jacob about it. I was like, hey, how, I mean, we're talking, you know, pandemic still. I mean, I was like, how's the stress been at, with all that? But does it make you feel proud to be an essential worker? I mean, how does that make you feel as a farmer? And he's like, I'm just, I'm glad to do my part because... If I don't get my crops in and out of the ground, that that's less to go to the elevator. That's less to go then from the elevator to the chicken houses, the commercial poultry, the feedlots. That's, you know, it, it's a long chain reaction, but it gets back to our table, even if it's not, you know, uh, a small direct-to-consumer kind of a product that he's growing with his soybeans and his corn and cotton. So it's – he. he Everybody, there's it's a whole chain of, of events that trickles down to us at the end of the day. I want to talk to Kristen about it. I know we had talked about Landon and was looking at replanting. Where is he? Because <laughs> he farms, by the way, in uh, right across the line from Natchez, right? Concordia Parish. Right. So they had, um, do the math, about 20% planted that they put in the ground at the, be- the first week of April and have not been in the field since then. But about half of that they're going to have to replant, which is currently today what he's doing. Yesterday was the first day that they were actually able to get in the field since April. So Wow. And then I want to say last year was a really, really good year in terms of planting because they had everything planted by April 11th. And we're May so, and he's making up, so he's at 10%, really, working his way back to 20%. Yes. Unreal. Talking about May 25th here. Yes. Unbelievable. That's I mean, I, I was trying to think at what point in time since we've been married, did they plant? I, they had there have been times in June that they had to do some replants, but mm-hmm. maybe 100, 200 acres here and there. But the, I, I just don't I don't remember a time that they had 8000 acres that they had to get planted at the end of May. Well, more importantly, Kristen, what's it been like having Landon home all this time with you every day, <laughs> day in, day out? What's that been like? I, I would say that a lot's getting done, but... <laughs> <laughs> you got guineas. He's, you got guineas. No, he's supposed to be building a new chicken house for us because mm. ours is falling apart. Yeah, well, 
he found one. He's he's gotten big on Pinterest. <laughs> he's. He's Pinterest really, for chicken houses. Do tell, please. He's got a whole board for his Pinterest chicken house. He's going to kill me about this. And I said, well, since you're home, why don't you build the dead gum chicken house? Because the way it looked when Tammy came out there and shot that video, I said, I don't ever want anybody to see this. Again, because that was there when we Well, it's out the there house. now. Yeah. Well, he said, I would, but have you seen lumber prices lately? And I said, sure. And then. Lo and behold, number yeah. prices are Yeah, and we got ridiculous. that story in the show this week as well. Yes. <laughs> well, we talked about the rain, and that ties into right now uh, across especially southeast Louisiana. Alligator Bayou Road right now is under construction. They are working to relieve some of the pond backwater that's down in that region uh, in Ascension Parish and try and get some of the water off that stuff. They're hopefully not going to have any more rain in the in the foreseeable future so they can get that stuff off. But that ties into a lot of what we're hearing in Ascension Parish, East Baton Rouge, all across the southeast about infrastructure issues, which is part of what your package is about. Yeah, so I went up to Morehouse Parish, which is as far north as you can get and grain still be, grain country yep still be in louisiana and the problem there is there are parish roads which are main thoroughfares to get grain from the fields to the port of lake providence which are not paved which are not very well maintained that have ruts and i mean like, like i said at the beginning of the story Normally, I try to edit out all the video with shakes in it. I try to take out all the bumps and everything else that looks like crap when you're watching TV. I I can't do that in this story because we were in a four-wheel drive truck going down roads that had literal ruts in them that were not, you know, just a few inches deep. We're talking a foot deep. Wow. And this is a road that's supposed to hold a, a, a... a tractor trailer full of grain. Are you kidding me? How are you going to do that? And then the paved roads had lots of potholes as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talk about infrastructure, you're not just talking about uh, a bridge here or there. You're not just talking about the road that goes through your town. You're talking about dollars and cents. You're talking about someone's livelihood. You're talking about, and this is the honest-to-God truth, uh, Damien Bollock's home that he was living in flooded in the spring of 2016. He could fix it back up and everything else. He chose not to move back because the road getting to it is in too bad a condition for him to live there. That's crazy. Yeah, I've, I've driven these roads, not that particular road, but I'm from Northeast Louisiana, and there are some terrible roads, and not just the unpaved ones, even the paved ones like you mentioned. And every time it rains and people drive through those potholes, they just get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And that's also true. I mean, that's even more so true in these unpaved roads where, I mean, you got a, a spot as big as this room that we're in that is just a, you know, a, a pit. A hole. Yeah. It's just a pit. that, And then, and then thinking about bringing an you know, 18-wheeler right. through this with— you know, 80,000 pounds worth of, you know, grain and tractor trailer. Like, there's no way. But it's not even the weight. It's the cash value that's in it that is now 
not able to go to the elevator. Mm -hmm. That's now not in a position to where not just the farmer can get paid, but where the elevator Literally getting the crop to the market. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about farm to market roads. This is the farm. There's the market. The road is not worthy. Mm -hmm. And so the, the hopes are that this story gets the attention of someone at the legislature, someone in Congress, someone who can divert some dollars here because the other reality is Morehouse Parish, not the richest parish in the state. Mm. Right. And we're dealing with it on a national basis. There was a story recently about a um, they had to shut down a bridge over the Mississippi River in Missouri, I believe, and because it had a huge crack, one of the big I-beams had split completely through. And so they had to shut it That's down to barge thing. traffic and to uh, car traffic while they assessed it and worked on it and that kind of thing. Louisiana's average for roads and bridges is a D-. minus. Mm. I believe. And so we, we're up against a serious um, uh, issue there nationally. It's been going on for years. I mean, this I was, didn't just crop up yesterday. I, I can take you back to, you know, Huey P. Long and uh, whenever he paved all the, the state highways in the state. Of course, he used substandard materials that he got from family and, uh, you know, lined his own pockets. But, you know, we're not, we're not going to bring up all of that on this podcast. One more thing I want to reference here. We're talking about these terrible roads and terrible, like, bringing these, th- these 18-wheelers through these, you know, pits of mud. The other thing that farmers are going to have to deal with, and, I mean, I'm sure, you know, anyone that drives down these roads, but the damage mm-hmm. and the wear and tear is so much more on these, you know, vehicles. I, like, that's something that, Farmers are footing the bill for. Nobody else is paying for that mm-hmm. other than farmers having to put more tires or do more axle work or whatever it may be. I don't even know. I'm just saying that's a real cost. And for the people who are going to say, well, it's the farmers who are tearing up the roads, let's keep in mind that the farmers are paying more in taxes for those roads mm-hmm. because of the property taxes they pay, the sales taxes they pay for all the equipment that they buy. So don't go and— Also, what you said in the st- on set a minute ago— that a lot of those farmers are taking it into their own hands and to trying fix, to repair, yeah. mm-hmm. which I know is true. I've seen it in my own neighborhood, you know, like my own neighborhood being where I grew up, not so much hometown in uh not in, in, central. in central. They don't really not farmers don't really handle that. But anyways, that that's just yeah. another thing to think about. But it's pretty wild. Well, let's try and move on to something a little more positive. Positive. Talk about the <laughs> Twyla boost this week. Uh a uh, young man finished placed highly in Amer- the American Idol competition. Runner up. And apparently, Pretty high. I saw your father's Facebook post. He was apparently not happy. Dad, Dad's a big, he's big into the voice, American Idol. If I had to guess, the Masked Singer, any of those singing <laughs> shows. Singer. I mean, they watch Scott? it all. So you they, think he can dance? He probably cannot dance. Uh, actually, no, he cannot it's dance. A show. It's a show. That is a show. I know that. But I'm just saying he can't dance. But the singing ones is what he, he loves it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, well this was a really good. I don't normally like American Idol or I haven't liked it in a long time. And this, I don't know why I got so invested in this. Luke Bryan? This year's. No. Oh, no. <laughs> that face. Oh. <laughs> Lord. Anyways, you're invested this year. <laughs> hate to talk bad about somebody, Boy, but that I was don't a think he's talented. Right there. That, that, mm. uh, Strong opinions. No, but there were. There, there were some young kids that on there this season that were very talented, but coincidentally, the one that was runner-up actually is a 4-H alumni who found out on the finale he used to judge chickens as hmm. part of his 4-H project, yeah. 
And he got his start. He got discovered in his 4-H performing arts group called Clover and Company mm-hmm. in Georgia. So, <laughs> so he got his start on stage at yes at 4-H before yeah long before 4-H is such a great program. They well, they do such a great job encouraging these youths and the the. You know, it doesn't surprise me that singing came out as part of that because they do so much and they have so many areas that they cover. Oh, yeah. That it's just one of those things that, that comes out. So it's it's not surprising, but it is great to hear as a, a reinforcement. And I know that uh, Jennifer's got a performance happening tonight, right? I do. My daughter is having Are her you singing? first no, <laughs> on-stage dance performance. But I'm sitting here waiting for your next uh chicken or quack joke because we started the podcast talking about chickens and now the 4-H American Idol guy was a raised chickens yeah. and so I'm waiting for the whole uh, the next dad joke yeah I've, I've already spent them all oh. I, I'm over my quota I, I, doubt I will that. never believe that yeah, I, ever I, I, in my life I highly doubt that I figured you'd sum it up with something corny <laughs> Ch- yeah, yeah. I, 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 I did the chicken minutes. impersonation on the set the other day so oh. I, I got a I gotta yeah. lay off the. Chicken we, I want to see the Friday funny of that since we put my alligator, you know, struggles. It was already put. It, it was on the week before. Oh, yeah, oh week. okay. I see, I I predate you, you getting peed on it. by an alligator. Okay. Oh, Can we talk about that? It's in last week's show, but <laughs> Neil, Neil, Neil handled alligators, and then yeah, the then mid stand up, the stand up he happened to him. use. Yeah. It's getting you're getting peed on. I didn't feel it because I was too busy worried about uh, getting my, slapped again. Yeah, getting. That's what Landon said. She was beating me with the tail. I mean, it was just whack. You can hear it on the 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 camera. The those the blooper thumps. reel. Yeah. Uh, it uh, those tails are powerful. And uh, fortunately, I had her close, so she could only get so far to hit me on the side. But man, uh, that was a struggle. And the the problem was, it wasn't so much that her arms were strong, is that they're slippery. It's slick to hold them i didn't have gloves i know on, when so. i wrote it i was going to write something about it neil puts an alligator in an arm bar but i thought yeah that's technically not an arm bar and i no, figured you would say something about she, it she was starting to win that that jujitsu right there i sh- i showed it to landon and he mm-hmm. said i bet he just about peed on himself and i said no but the alligator did pee on him yeah, that, that's that's certainly true there was enough of that I, uh, <laughs> I, sh- I showed Brittany, and she was like there is no way i would be anywhere in the ballpark of those things much yeah. less holding it and once that thing started slapping you she's like nope right. i'm out i'm out Mm-mm, turn it I, off i don't I, I i just naturally growing up i don't have a fear of most of those things um of but, anything uh, i'm not no, scared not, of anything. It, it's just I, I love nature and i i've done a lot of reading about it and studying it as a kid and you know the thing about alligators of that size is they don't consider people prey um, it's not until they get way, way, way bigger than that that they're, they're a threat. And so all she was trying to do is escape. So I don't really worry about the the real dangerous thing like biting and that kind of thing. For, Still wouldn't stick my hand in her mouth, but, you know. Especially since you would probably eat the alligator. Right. Yeah. I do know something you're scared of. Okay. That horse that you rode a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she and, and it, is... it wasn't. It's not the horse or the size or the thing. It's that she intentionally ran me into a branch. <laughs> she knew what she was doing. I've been there too. I just don't have video of it. Please, oh, that that might be our Friday funny. <laughs> you find that or a Thursday throwback? Right, hey, it, is. Funny. it is. Yeah, Rio and finds answers on the sand. I'll have a whole roll of that video. Mm. Yeah, it's money. What's her name? Is what? Rio. 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 
because she dances, dances on, on the sand. sand. I think I've been embarrassed enough here. We're going to wrap up. And uh, I want to thank everybody. Jennifer Finley, Avery Davidson, Carl Wiggers, Kristen Oaks-White, and I'm Neil Malonson. Thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twyla After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 